So Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 16, let's read. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the manner of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. If you die with Christ to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices, humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value against fleshly indulgence. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and glorify you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Um, help us to not just be hearers of your word today, but doers. Uh, thank you for loving us enough to write it down so that we can know you, Lord God, and not have to guess where you are or what you have to say. So we thank you and we praise you. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 16. Therefore. So whenever you see a therefore, we often say the question is, what's it there for? So therefore, as a result of what uh, we just read, which actually what Chris preached on last, last week, particularly verses 9 through 15, as a result of all of that, which you just heard about Christ being in his supremacy, Paul says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to drink and food in the matter of a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. So, therefore, as a result of all the stuff we just read at verses 9 through 15, don't let anybody disqualify you or render God's judgment upon you, is what that word judge means. So don't let anybody render God's judgment upon you or disqualify you as a result of all of, of what the false teachers are saying about um, a Sabbath day, a new moon, and all those other things. So what's he talking about when he says uh, uh, food and drink? He's referring to the dietary laws in the Old Testament. There were dietary laws in the Old Testament that the Jews had to follow. Um, and so he said, don't let anybody judge you in regard to your dietary laws, to your festivals. He's referring to, referring to the religious celebrations that they had yearly um, um, in, in Israel. In regard to a new moon, which were monthly offerings that they had to offer, had to offer, or in regard to a Sabbath day, which was their weekly celebrations. So in other words, Paul is saying, as a result of what Christ has done, all of that is done away with. All the dietary laws, all the festivals, the new moons, and the Sabbath day, we are no longer required to keep because of the supremacy of Christ. And the false teachers were trying to tell them, okay, yeah, you need Jesus, and you need to keep all of these rules and regulations. So as a result of, of, of Christ being supreme, don't let anybody judge you or disqualify you or render God's judgment upon you in regard to all of these other laws from the Old Testament. That's what, that's what he's saying, because they no longer um, uh, apply to us as believers. Okay? All right. Um, verse 17. These, these, the, the dietary laws, the Old, the Old Testament festivals and, and what have you, these are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah, a, a, a shadow of what was to come. The word shadow means the image or the outline cast by an object. So it wasn't the real thing. It was just an image or an outline that was cast by an object. They, and it pointed to a future reality. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 10. 
Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come. There's that word shadow again. So this is um, the writer of Hebrews referring to the law. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the actual form of those realities. Like I said, it was only a shadow. It wasn't the actual form. So the law, the Old Testament laws was just a shadow of the actual form of these realities. It can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. So the sacrifices of, of animals and, and doves and lambs, they never really um, uh, perfected the worshipers by those sacrifices. They did them year after year, but it wasn't to, to, to uh, remove sin. It was only to cover sin. Okay? Um, otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? In other words, if they worked, they wouldn't have to do it every year. Okay. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't have stopped being offered. Since the worshipers, once purified through those sacrifices, would no longer have any conscience of sin. So if it worked, they would forget about the sin because of the sacrifice of the lamb or the goat or whatever they were sacrificing. But like I said, that didn't work. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Every time they went to do that every year, they were reminded of their sins. That's why they had to keep repeating it. It just reminded them of how sinful they were. Okay? Um, But in the sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It was impossible for the blood of those animal sacrifices to remove sin. It was never intended to. It was only intended to cover sin until the following year. see, See, this year's sacrifice didn't take care of next year's sin. You had to keep offering sacrifices every year to cover the sins. Okay? For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 5, therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not want sacrifice and offering. This is referring to Jesus Christ. You did not want sacrifice and offerings, Father, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in the whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Those things never really please God. They never please God, okay? Then I said, see, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Verse 8, after he says above, you did not want or delight in sacrifices and offerings, never God's will, um, real desire, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. What does that mean? He takes away the first. What's the first? The Old Testament laws, the Old Testament uh, animal sacrifices and ceremonies. He says he takes that away. He takes away the first so that he can establish the second. What is the second? The sacrifice of himself for our sin. Okay, you're getting this. He takes away the first, those old ceremonial things that was really never pleased God, never took away sin, only covered it. Jesus takes away the first to establish the second. By this will of God, what will? The will of Christ as our sacrifice. By this will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. They had to go to sacrifice for their sins every year. The high priest went in every year. But Jesus and the sacrifice of his body Took, took care of sin once and for all. So we, he only had to go into the 
into heaven to offer himself to the Father as a sin sacrifice one time. Jesus doesn't have to go again next year, every year, because his sacrifice was perfect, but the sacrifice of the animals, those bulls and goats, were not perfect. They only covered sin. Jesus takes away sin. The blood of Jesus doesn't just cover your sin. He takes it away. He removes it. Amen? If you ever get a chance to study the book of Hebrews, that is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It, is, it will blow your mind. <laughs> it really talks about what God did in Jesus Christ for us to take away our sin. So if you ever get a chance to study the book of Hebrews, the first 10 chapters in particular, please do that. Oh, okay, so they foreshadow the coming reconciliation of Christ. See, those, those animal sacrifices were only a shadow. They just foreshadowed what Christ was going to do when he came. If those, if those were kept, if you keep offering sacrifices every year after what Christ has done, it makes his sacrifice void. So what you're saying to God is, um, Christ's sacrifice isn't good enough. I still need to slaughter a lamb. Aren't you, still, aren't you glad we don't have to go out and find a lamb and a goat to kill to cover our sin anymore? Can you imagine doing that every year? Well, every time you sin, there were different uh, uh, sacrifices for different sins. They had to go and, and kill and slaughter animal sacrifices to take away the sins. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that anymore? Amen. Thank God. All right. So uh, back to Colossians. So therefore, as a result of that, we don't have to do that anymore. So this, those sacrifices were just a shadow, as he says in verse 17, uh, of what was to come. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance, the real thing, is the Messiah. See, um, Jesus is the real thing. I don't have to, uh, once the real thing comes, you don't need the, uh, the um, when, like, it's like an advertisement for something. If you're advertising for something that's coming, whether it's a TV show or whatever, um, they have advertisements saying, coming this fall. You know, now once the show actually starts, they don't show the advertisements anymore because it shows here. You don't need to be, you don't need to advertise anymore. The real substance is here. It's the same thing with these animal sacrifices. We don't do that because the actual substance of the, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is here. All right. Verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Okay. All right. There's a lot there. Uh, verse 18, can you get to verse 18? Here we are. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels. What's he talking about? Okay, um, to disqualify means to render, to render judgment on or to cheat you, to cheat you out of, to decide against. So he says, don't let anybody cheat you, render judgment on you, or decide against you, insisting on ascetic practices. What is he talking about? He's talking about false humility, uh, self-abasement, um, harsh treatment of the body, and all this stuff that they did to prove that they were spiritual. Okay, they did all this stuff to try to make themselves look, look, look deep, quote-unquote, and spiritual. He says, but don't you let anybody disqualify you. They insisted on that you do these things. Okay, you have to do these things in order to be uh, pleased and accepted by God. You've got to do all of this stuff. And we'll talk about some of that stuff in a minute. They were ascetic practices that they were, the false teachers were telling them that they had to do. All right? Um, but he said, don't let anybody disqualify you telling you've got to do this thing. Insisting on these ascetic practices and the worship of angels. What is, that, what is he talking about there? When he says worshiping of angels, he's talking about invoking help from angels for protection. And that's what they were teaching. Um, they put angels in its place that the Bible doesn't put them. 
They put, and he put, they put angels in a place where not only you invoke them for protection, but also you worship God through the angels. That's what they were teaching. You worship God through these angels. They were, um, um, you, you, you invoke them for help, but then you also, you worship God through these angels. And they were claiming because they were having these visions, they were in this visionary realm, and they were getting all this information. They were, like I said, they were being deep and getting all these, um, these, these, these visions, supposedly. Um, and when, when they did that, they were robbing Christ of his supremacy because if I get to God through, through an angel, what is Christ for? The Bible says Jesus is our mediator between, uh, between, for God, between God and men. Christ is our mediator, not an angel. But the false teachers were saying, okay, um, you need to worship angels. You call on them uh, for protection instead of Christ. Now, if God wants to send an angel to protect you, that's his prerogative. But I don't pray to the angel for protection. Amen? That's, that's idolatry. You pray to an Why am I praying to an angel when I have God himself I can pray to? Okay, and it robs Christ of his supremacy. Uh, verse 18, let them want to disqualify you insisting on ascetic practice and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Claiming access to a visionary realm. What's he talking about? Um, mystical insight is what they were claiming they had based on visions they had. Like I said, they were claiming to have this mystical um, superior knowledge that nobody else got because they were in touch with God because of these visions that they had. And it was really, what that word really means is talking about um, they dwelt in, they, had, they were frequenting pagan temples, and that's where they got this from. And in these pagan temples, they had these visions. They were becoming mystical and deep, okay? And they claimed to have superior knowledge that the quote-unquote regular Christians didn't have. Okay, yeah, you got Jesus, all that's good, but also you need to get into this, this trance. You need to get into the visionary realm, become mystical, you know, it's like they, they, they claim to have knowledge that the other regular Christians didn't have. You know, um, uh, access to a visionary realm. I got access. You know, let me try to bring this up to 2017. Sometimes uh, they were saying, they were saying, I'm, I'm, they were saying, yeah, you got all this good Christian stuff in the Bible and everything, but you're still not woke yet. You ain't woke. You still sleep. So in order to become woke, which is a term out there now, particularly in the black neighborhood, um, if you're not woke, then you ain't, you ain't, you know, you ain't got it. You know, they, 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 they were deep. You know, they said, yeah, Jesus plus all this other stuff. That's what they were claiming. Um, because they were, they, were, they were in this visionary realm. They were, they were, in this, they were having these uh, visions, you know. And they were really in contact with demons. You got to be careful trying to be spiritual and deep. Because you open yourself up to a realm that you don't want to get into. You know, when you, when, you, when you deny this and say, this is good, but I want something more. The Bible says, all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 23, I think it is. All the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the Bible says, are in Jesus Christ. Why do I need to look outside of him for anything else? He gives me everything I need. All the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ, not some vision, not some mystical realm. 
Okay. And he says, uh, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. His, I love that verse. His, uh, the King James says, his fleshly mind. Paul said, all that stuff is a bunch of flesh. Paul said, that's all that is. He said, they're not deep. They're just unspiritual, unnatural, ain't nothing deep about it. It's just a bunch of flesh. He said, vainly puffed up. See, they became proud. It really was pride, you know, because they were claiming, you know, we, we, we do this. And, you know, all the, like I said, all these ascetic um, things they were doing. We, we fast, you know, like the Pharisees. We fast twice a week. And, and you know, and, and we, 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 um, we, 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 we beat our bodies and all this stuff that we're doing, you know, um, to make ourselves deep and spiritual. And Paul said, it's all flesh. It ain't nothing but a bunch of flesh. He said, none of that is even necessary. Jesus beat his body. You don't have to beat yours. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, his natural, unspiritual, carnal, sinful mind. That's where all that stuff comes from. Verse 19. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. Okay. He says they don't hold on to the head. These false teachers had no contact or connection to Christ, who is the head of the church. He says they have no connection to the source. He said this stuff is, is, is puffed up by the fleshly mind because they have no connection to the head of the body. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Did you get that one? Ephesians 4? Okay, all right. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, who? Christ. The whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. So Christ is the head of the church. And Paul said these false teachers were disconnected from the head. So if you're disconnected from the source, where are you getting your information from? What's your source or who is your source? He said they are disconnected from the source. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body is held together. See, without the head, we have no church. Jesus, the Bible says, even in, 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 in verse 18 in chapter 1, Christ is the head of the church. Chris and I are not the head of the church. Christ is the chief shepherd of the church. He's the head. We are under shepherds. Okay? So, so if, you, if you are not connected to the source, where's your information coming from? If you cut your head off, what's going to happen to your body? It's going to die on its own. All you got to do is cut your head off. Your body, well, we've seen it in the movies. Just cut your head off, and the body will die on its own. And so, since they were not connected to the head, to the source, Paul said, Ignore them. They're not connected to the head. Let me read something up. This is uh, Calvin's commentary uh, on these verse. He condemns, verse 19, he condemns in the use of one word whatever does not bear a relation to Christ. He also confirms his statement on the ground that all things flow from him and depend on him, on Christ. Hence, should anyone 
call us anywhere else than to Christ, though in other respects he were big with heaven and earth, he is empty and full of wind. Okay? Let us, therefore, without concern, bid him farewell. In other words, Paul said, tell him bye-bye. If you ain't connected to the source, I don't want to hear nothing you got to say. Observe, however, of whom he is speaking, namely of those who did not openly reject or deny Christ, but not accurately understanding his office and power. You hear that? They didn't flat out deny Christ, but they didn't understand who he was or his office or his power by seeking out other helps and means of salvation. Okay, yeah, we need some help other than Jesus is what these false teachers were saying. They were not firmly rooted in him. He simply means that, and from whom the whole body uh, is joined, he simply means this, that the church does not stand otherwise than in the event of all things being furnished to her by Christ, the head, and accordingly that her entire safety consists in him. The body, it is true, has its nerves, its joints and ligaments, but all these things derive their vigor solely from the head. Everything that you have is surviving because of your head. And the same thing with the church. What then must be done? The constitution of the body will be in the right state if simply the head, which furnishes the several members with everything that they have, is allowed without any hindrance to have the preeminence. Did you hear that? Christ must have the preeminence in order for this, even this whole church thing to work. And that's what this whole book is about. The supremacy, the preeminence of Christ. We, Chris preached about it last week. He is the preeminence. He is the head. And these false teachers were not connected to the head. And even to a degree denying that that's all we needed. Okay? So he says in verse 19 again, he doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. If you are, there's no way to grow outside of Christ. The church, the church individual, first of all, you will never grow individually as a believer outside of Christ. And then the church as a whole will never grow outside of the head, the church, of, of the head of the church, who is Jesus Christ. Okay, all right. Verse 20. If you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? If you died with Christ, and we did, to the elemental forces of this world. What is that, the elemental forces of this world? He's talking about the fundamental principles of pagan religion, in one sense. Supernatural agencies or spiritual beings. It's the same thing as rulers and authorities in verse 10, 15. He said that Christ came and disarmed the rulers and authorities, the Bible says. In this verse, uh, elemental forces is the same thing. It's the, it's the same thing. And he says, we died to that. And not only that, but we've also died to the ceremonial law, which are also elemental forces. He said, if you died with that to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? If, you, if, the, if all this is true... If Jesus is the, is, is the head, he has a preeminence, we don't have to keep the, the laws anymore, the ceremonial, dietary, all this, we don't have to do that anymore, why are you still living like you do? If you are free, the Bible says, for freedom Christ uh, came to set us free. He said, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It is for freedom that Christ died to set us free. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And Jesus said, come to me, all of you 
who are heavy laden and burdened, he said, and I will give you rest. And why did he say that? Because the, all of the stuff that the Pharisees put on the people, all of the extra stuff, the, the traditions of the elders, Jesus, Jesus called them, the stuff they added to the law, it was a burden to the people. And Jesus said, come to me. Oh, you are burdened by all that stuff? He said, I'll give you rest. He said, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. And so, and he said, Paul's saying, if you've died to all of that, why are you still living like you in bondage? Why would you want to keep the law still? Why would you still want to go out and, 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 and find a lamb to slay for yourself? Why would you want to do that? Why live under bondage when I came to set you free? And that's, what, that's the whole question there. And that's what these false teachers were doing. They were putting them back into bondage. He said, if you die to that, he's asking a question to the elemental forces of this world. Why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? What's he talking about? The regulations were the decrees, the opinions, and the obligations that the false teachers put on the people. This was their opinion. These were the things that they said you were obligated to do. It was just, it was just their opinion. And he said, why are you still submitting to that? I just told you in chapter 1 and part 2 that Christ is the head, the preeminence. We no longer have to do that. Why are you still trying to hold on to that? You've been free. Walk in freedom. Why do you submit to regulations? Verse 21. Don't handle. Don't taste. Don't touch. All that stuff. What was that? There were, there were rules that the false teachers put on them. There were all these taboos that were imposed on them by, by the false teachers. Um, you know, you can't touch this. You can't eat that. You can't handle that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Legalism. He was saying, Paul said, why are you still submitting to that? The people, letting people tell you what you can't eat, what you can't touch, what you can't handle. See, in the Old Testament, um, some of the ceremonial laws, if you, if you broke them, you were polluted. If you touched a dead body as a priest, it polluted you. And you were unclean. If you touched somebody who had leprosy, you were unclean. And, and, and so um, we are no longer subject to that anymore. He said, um, Paul said, why are you still talking about what you can't touch and what you can't eat? He said, Paul said, listen, you're free. Go have a pork chop sandwich. <laughs> You're free. You can, you go eat a piece of shrimp. You're good. <laughs> okay? Now, now, if you want to do that for health reasons, that's fine. You know, if you want to abstain from certain things for health reasons, that's good, yeah. Because it's not good for you. We know that. You know, you don't need to eat pork every day. <laughs> it's unhealthy. <laughs> but don't use that as a sign of spirituality is the point. Because I don't eat that, therefore I'm more spiritual than you. Paul said, that's foolishness. Stop that. You've been free from that. Can you imagine, imagine some of the Jews, once they got saved, were free in Christ. Just my little imagination, some of the stuff they did that they couldn't do before. They probably went out and did get some pork. They probably went out and, I heard this bacon stuff was really good. <laughs> I'm going to try. Some Gentiles told me that bacon is so good. I'm going to go try some. Thank you, Jesus. I've been looking at that stuff for years, smelling it and everything. <laughs> now I can eat some <laughs> because Christ is the supremacy. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I can get pepperoni on my pizza now. <laughs> Glory to God. 
think about some of the stuff they might have done once they became free. <laughs> he said, why are you submitting to that? Why are you living as if you still belong to the world? He said, notice how he, how he phrased that. He said, as you still belong to the world. And it was God who put some of that stuff on him. He said, like you still belong to the world. You belong to the world. You belong to Christ now. You belong to God. He said, so get rid of the don't handle, don't taste, don't touch stuff. You're good. That's legalism. We're free now. Verse 22. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. What's he talking about there? All these regulations, all them taboos that were put on them, he said they were temporal stuff. They were just physical things. They were temporal stuff. He said they were, they were, they were used up, destroyed by being used up. Food, food is not crucial to your spirituality. In spite of what people may tell you, food is not crucial to your spiritual life. Um, those things allow, but Jesus said, what goes into a man goes into a stomach and is eliminated. And we all know what that means. Okay? So he said food, it's, not even, it's, it's food. There's not anything spiritual about that. So all the stuff that they're trying to tell you, you can't eat that, why not? It's just food. He said, Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of him. That verse is deep. He said, it's not what you eat that defiles you. It's what comes out of your heart. See, and then he mentions all the stuff that's in your heart. Adultery and murder and sexual morality. And all. He said, see, all of that stuff, that's what's defiling you. Not pork. What's defiling you is the stuff that's in your heart that's coming out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So all the stuff that's coming out of you, that's what's defiling you. That's the stuff that God got a real problem with. The stuff that's right here. And see, that, that could, that'll mess you up because you're thinking, okay, as long as I don't eat this, I'm good. But God said, no, it's a little more than that. I ain't so much concerned with what you're putting in. I'm concerned with what's coming out. See, because that's who you really, that's the essence of who you are. See, your heart is the essence of who you are. And what's in your heart will reveal you, will expose you. See, when people, when people say, say stuff, do stuff, it's a result of what's in their heart. People say, oh, I didn't mean that. Well, it came out. It came from somewhere. And your heart is the essence of who you are. See, even when you post stuff, when you tweet stuff, it comes out of your heart. Out of the abundance, the heart tweets. Out of the abundance, the heart posts. <laughs> out of the abundance, the heart types. You know what I'm saying? Amen? Amen. So, <laughs> that's the issue. The issue is your heart, not a sandwich. Okay? Um, he said... All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. Being used up. Regulations didn't promote spirituality. We worship God. Jesus said we worship God in spirit and in truth. Okay? We worship God in spirit and in truth. So, so worship is a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter, and it is a matter of the heart. And that's the whole that's always what God was after. Even in the Old Testament, it was always a heart issue. Yeah, he had rules and regulations, but there was, like I said, it was a shadow to bring us to Christ to get to change our hearts. 
Um, and Jeremiah said, uh, God talks about um, uh, taking, giving you an Ezekiel, taking out the heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. It's a heart issue. See, that's what God is after. See, nobody will ever change unless their heart changes. So all the stuff that we see in the world is the result of heart issues. All the violence, all the, all the, all the murder, all the, all the isms in the world, racism, sexism, all the isms, those are all heart issues. That's because people's hearts are not right. And so your heart, you act out of your heart. And so your behavior is the reflection of what's going on in your heart. All these regulations refer to what's being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. Listen to that. He said, this stuff ain't even from God. He said, they are commands and doctrines of men. Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29. And it reads, The Lord said, Because these people approach me with their lips, with their mouths, to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me, and their worship consists of man-made rules learned by rote. Mm. He said, they approach me, worship, let's say, with their mouths to honor me with lip service. We all know what lip service is. You say something you don't really mean. It's just lip service. He said, yet their hearts, see, see, that's what God wants. Their hearts are far from me. They're saying this, but their heart is over here. Their heart and their lips are not connected. Their hearts are far from me. And their worship, see, they're still worshiping. They're in church. They're still worshiping, but their worship consists of man-made rules learned by rote. Rote is repetition. It's um, mechanical. It's you do it just out of uh, duty. You know, your heart is not really in it. You don't even understand it. You just do it because you're told to do it. And said, he said, their worship was like that. First of all, it consisted of man-made rules, stuff that I never said. And then it was learned by rote. They were just doing it over and over and over again. It was like a, they were like robots when it came to that. You know. And we can be like that, too. We have to be careful. We don't do things uh, out of mechanical repetition with our understanding and our hearts are not connected to it. You know, they were just doing it because they were told to. You know, lift your hands. Praise God. Okay, all right, all right. Get on your knees and pray. Okay, all right. Open your Bible and read. Okay, okay. See, they were just, just robots. They were just doing whatever they were told to do. You know, just to, and we got to be careful that we don't... See, some of our worship can be like that. Some of our church services can be like that. What do I mean? We need a program. It's good to have a program. It's good to have order and structure. That's good. Um, but we have to be willing to allow God to disrupt our service. What I mean is, we can't be so structured that we structure the Holy Spirit right out. I've seen on, on, on programs at church, in small print at the end, you know, this program is subject to the move of the Holy Spirit. You know, that may sound funny, but, <laughs> but in other words, um, if God wants to change this program, he's, he, he, he can do that. 
You know what I'm saying? You know, we don't want to become so mechanical that we, 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 we tell God, okay, this is how it's going to be. We don't want nothing different today. We want to keep it this way all the time. You know, and that can limit God's work. If God wants to do something different in your church service, if he wants, and I've seen it happen, and I'm not, I'm not talking about fleshly, you know, carnal stuff where, I ain't talking about that. Because sometimes God will disrupt your life. He will disrupt your life. He will say, okay, we, can ha- we have a program, this is what we're going to do, but God said, yeah, you know, I want to switch up a little something this week. Are we willing to let him do that? Or if we're so rigid and mechanical that he wouldn't be able to do that because we're afraid of change. We're afraid that that's going to look spooky. That's going to look weird. I'm not, I'm not talking about spooky and weird stuff. I'm just talking about allowing God um, the ability to change what you put in place, whether it be your life or your worship service. That's all I'm saying. Be open to that. Be open to that. So, but that's what their worship was like. It was man-made rules, and it was, it was learned by rote. It was repetition. There was no heart in it at all. Okay. Verse 23. Back to Colossians. Although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices, humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. He said, although these things, all these regulations that we just talked about, all those man-made rules, he said, they have a reputation of wisdom. Notice what he said. He says, they're meant to make you think that these people are deep and spiritual and have a connection with God. He said, they have a reputation of wisdom, but it's not wisdom at all. These have a reputation of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices, back to that same old thing, um, all the stuff they had you doing. Humility, the humility was false. See, they pretended to be humble by doing all this stuff. You know, um, Jesus talked about the, the Pharisees when they fasted, they, they would disfigure their faces, you know, and make themselves look sad, you know, when they fasted, you know. <laughs> they should show it on their face. So if somebody asked them what was wrong, I'm fasting for the Lord. You know, they, they wanted to appear humble. It's okay, brother. I'm okay. I'm just fasting for the Lord. That's not how they weren't humble at all. He said it has a reputation of being that. And severe treatment of the body, you know, fasting and denying yourself. And, and even in the Old Testament, uh, um, in the book of uh, Kings, uh, um, Elijah on, the Mount, on Mount Carmel, Mount Carmel uh, Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. Um, there was a challenge between the real God and the false God. And, and, the, and the people who worshipped the false God, when, when they were calling on their God, they were dancing around and cutting themselves and beating their flesh and beating their body. They were doing all this stuff to get, to get their God's attention. You know, and, these, and, and these false teachers were kind of like the same thing. You know, you got to do all of this stuff to prove to God that you're serious about him. You know, you got to fast twice a week, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. You want to fast twice a week, and, 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 and you got to beat your body, and you got to deny yourself, all this stuff. He said, they have a reputation of being, of, of wisdom, promoting ascetic practice, and false humility, 
and severe treatment of the body. But look at what he says. They are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. They don't help you one bit with your flesh. None. <laughs> See, they appeared to provide enlightenment and all of this stuff. They were doing all this stuff to try to be deep. Like I said, they appeared to be enlightenment. Um, um, and body, like I said, body, the Bible says bodily exercise is profitable. You know, so there's nothing wrong with exercising and going to the gym and all that. That's great. You, we need to do that. It's profitable. But it ain't spiritual about it, is the point. It, doesn't, it ain't nothing spiritual about it. You ain't no spiritual to me because I don't go to the gym and you do. Okay? I know I need to go, but, you know, whatever. All right? Okay. Um, it brought no help in curbing your fleshly indulgence, your carnal, sinful appetite. All that stuff didn't do that. When you, when you get, you can do all of this stuff. But when you tempt it with sin, that ain't going to help. <laughs> when you when you tempted to cuss somebody out, you can say, you know, ooh, I was going to cuss you out. But you know what? I turned down that pork this morning and I ain't going to cuss you out now. <laughs> That's the only reason I ain't telling you off, because I said no to shrimp. That ain't going to help. When you when you when you got sexual urges and you tempted to go out and, you know, that ain't going to help. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, um, oh, submit to the Spirit and you won't indulge in the lust of the flesh. He didn't say, don't eat, and you won't indulge in the lust of the flesh. He said, submit to the Spirit of God, and then you won't carry out the lust of the flesh. So, so all of that stuff, Paul says, they have a reputation of wisdom, promoting all of this stuff, false humility, severe treatment of the body, and it don't do nothing for your flesh, this sinful stuff, your evil heart, it doesn't help with that at all. So therefore, why even do all of that? Nothing wrong with fasting, nothing wrong with um, um, taking care of your body, but don't use that as substitute for submitting to God, is the point. Don't use that as a substitute to not obey the Spirit of God, because it's not going to work. So in all of this, Paul's saying, because Christ is supreme, we don't have to submit to ceremonial law anymore. Christ is the ultimate perfect sacrifice. We read that in Hebrews. He's a perfect sacrifice for our sin. We read that in Hebrews. So I'm free. It is for freedom that he has set me free. And I'm not going to be entangled again with all this yoke of bondage, all this yoke of ceremonial stuff that don't mean nothing and does nothing to curb my fleshly indulgence, which is what I need to do. You need to control your flesh. The Bible says in Galatians 5, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. It's a fruit of the spirit, not a denial of food. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's self-control. We need to control ourselves. And we all know how hard that can be to control your flesh. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has died, rose, and resurrected and has given me the power of the Holy Spirit where I can control my flesh under his power. Once I submit to him, I cannot cuss you out now. I can say no to sexual sin. I can say no to sin, period, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the supremacy of Jesus Christ, who I have now submitted myself to. 
Amen? Amen. Okay, so that's all these verses we're saying. Paul's saying, therefore, all right, now we've learned who Christ was. Therefore, don't submit to all of this stuff anymore. The false teachers were saying, yeah, you need Jesus, and you need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that. Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. So as we partake of communion, we are celebrating the supremacy and the, perf- and the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because of his perfect sacrifice, I don't need to go out and find one myself anymore. I don't need to go out and slay a lamb or a goat or a pigeon or a turtle dove. Because Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That is good news. That my sin has been atoned for. Once I accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, what he did for me on Calvary, once I say, okay, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, God. I need a Savior. That's the only reason you come to God is because you need a Savior. You're a sinner, you need a Savior. I come, I need a Savior. I'm going to accept the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on my behalf at Calvary. And as a result of that, I don't need to try to do stuff to please you anymore. We do stuff because we are accepted by God, not to be accepted by God. I do good works because I love God. I don't do good works to to, to get in God's favor. I'm already in his favor in Jesus Christ. That's good news, that I don't have to work. Every other religion in the world, every other religion in the world, you have to do something to be saved. You have to do something to get God's favor. Every other, except Christianity. Every other religion is man trying to reach God. Christianity is the only one where God came down to reach man. God, that's good. He came down. He humbled himself to become like me so that I could become like him. No other religion in the world teaches that. Every other religion says, you have to do this, and God will accept you. Jesus said, I'm going to do this in your stead, and then you become accepted by God. You don't have to do anything other than accept what I've already done. That's a burden reliever. That takes all the pressure off of me to try to always work my way into God's favor. Like I said, we do stuff like that. We do good works because we love God. That's why we do them. And God will bless you for it. But we do them. My motivation isn't, okay, I need to do this because I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to make it to heaven, so I need to do this. There are religions that teach that. But not, but not, God never said that. God never said that. So as we celebrate and partake of communion of the table, we are celebrating the sacrifice that Jesus Christ already made on our behalf and that I don't have to work for God to love me. You know, God will love me. People think, God will love me if I do this. God will love me if I do that. You can never earn God's love. You know, you know God, see, when you understand God's standard, God's standard for everybody is total perfection. 
Total perfection. You can never mess up. Thought, word, or deed. Ever. That's God's requirement. Now that's bad news. That is bad news for everybody. Why? Because nobody can meet that standard. So what did God do? Instead of cutting us all off, which he had every right to do, he said, like what we read in Hebrews, Jesus said, prepare me a body, God. He said, I've come to do your will. So Jesus lived a life that you and I could never live. He did live a perfect life, never thought, word, and deed perfectly. He lived that life. And God said, okay, all right. Now, if you accept that sacrifice, I will give you Jesus Christ's perfection because you don't have it. So I will transfer Jesus' perfection to you, and I will transfer your sin and put it on him on the cross. It's called the great exchange. Who would not want that? I'm not perfect. I never will be, never have been, never will be. But in Jesus Christ, I am. Because God transfers his perfection to me once I repent and accept his sacrifice. God gives me Jesus' perfect life. He looks at me as if I lived the perfect life that Jesus did. And he treats Jesus as if he lived my life. That's what Calvary is all about. When you look at, the, when you look at that movie, I'll use the movie, uh, uh, The Passion of the Christ. When you look at what they did to Jesus, that should have been you and me. And, Jesus, and God said, instead of doing that to you, I'll do it to him. And when you, look at the, when you read scripture and look at the perfect life of Jesus Christ that he lived, God said, okay, I'll give you that. I'll, tra- I'll, I'll treat you as if you did that. God, that's good news. I never, ever get tired of hearing that. Ever. Because I know how jacked up I am. Because I know that I can never live up to that. But that's not what God is looking at. He's looking at Jesus, this, the ultimate sacrifice. and says, Eddie, you're good. Because when I look at you, I see my son. Because you've embraced what he did. So therefore, I accept you. And when we partake of communion, that's what we are celebrating. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Can we all stand?